Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website, dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. Today, we have with us a returning guest, and we're always grateful to have a doctor on the program uh, with us, Dr. David Shirazi. Say hello. (laughs) Hi, how you doing? Nice to see you again. Yeah, I'm doing great, and we're grateful to have you here. Um, You know, it's been a bit since you've been on the program. If If I recall correctly, you grew up in a dentistry household, is that right? I did. My mom's a dentist. Yeah, for sure. And my cousin and my, co- you know, uncles, aunts, you know, they're all doctors or dentists. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know I got that right. But you you specialize in uh, sleep and, and TMJ. Tell me pain. How did you get into that? What, what brought you to that specialty? Uh, completely by accident. I was, uh, I was doing functional orthodontics on kids. And I didn't know, this is 20 years ago, I didn't know um, that much about sleep apnea. I just knew I was creating space for all their crowding and changing their skeletal issues. So I, for some reason, I became the class three guy in my neighborhood. You know, the kids that didn't want surgery, the parents that didn't want surgery on their class three kid, I would develop their maxilla and sometimes raise the vertical. And, um, you know, they were a skeletal class one. And then they could be finished with braces or aligners, you know. Um, And sometimes I treated the kid's pain with the ortho. And because, you know, you can't lock up, you know, you can't wear a kid can't wear a night guard because then you won't allow them to, to, to grow. So I would do that and the kid would get better. And the parents would come back and say, oh, their snoring is gone. They're doing better in school. They don't define me as much. Their pain, you know, they're happier kid. And they're like, could you do this for me? I was like, "Ah, maybe. Let me go do some research. And I really, I was shocked to learn that there is this whole world called, you know, TMJ and oral facial pain. Like I I had very little exposure to it in in dental school. We had something called ODNR, oral diagnosis and radiology. And I believe um, one of our instructors was certified in oral facial pain. And nice guy. I mean, we talked about it, but I mean, I didn't go to become a dentist so I can prescribe drugs to everybody and for everything. So when his focus was, well, we prescribed this drug for migraine and this book for facial pain and this book for, you know, chronic pain or whatever. I was like, that's great. You can do that. I have no desire, you know, to dabble in that. Um, And then when I realized that there's kind of like two factions there's oral facial pain and craniofacial pain. And the craniofacial pain sign is much more interested in the functional aspects of, you know, resolving the issue. Uh, that I just became much more interested in that. So, um, and then I did that for a while. And then the whole world of sleep apnea with oral appliances came upon us. And to be honest, there is nobody more prepared to make an oral appliance for sleep apnea than someone who's been making oral appliances for TMJ problem, right? Because, because you're already working with a pain patient. They already have limited range of motion, clicking, painting, uh, popping, and, and pain. So you know where not to move their jaw. You know where to keep their contacts, right? 
because of your experience treating job problems. Sure. So, you know, a lot of people, when this whole thing went down, a lot of people were doing this model of let's start at 60% of their maximum protrusion for their sleep apnea appliances, right? And then, of course, patients were still bruxing at 60% or more protrusion, but they were getting TMJ problems, whether it was effusion or disc displacement. And those of us that knew what not to do didn't have those problems, right? So really, it was like it was like manna from heaven for us because it, they're a lot easier to treat than chronic pain patients, but a lot of them have an underlying TMJ problem because they've been bruxing for a long time because of their sleep apnea. Sure. Right. So yeah. it was it was really it, it fit into us very well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, these this these really three areas obviously all connected that you're working in every single day. And let's talk about how helping um dentists, um, this isn't their area of specialty, helping them um diagnose. Um, and what are the questions that they should be asking patients and maybe outside of the box, outside of what's typical to see if, you know, maybe they need uh, help from someone like you. Okay. So, well, first off is you want to look at their health history, right? So if they have a history of depression, anxiety, type two diabetes and hypertension, uh, that should be a red flag for having uh, sleep apnea. Yeah. So when they came up with, this whole model of mild to moderate to severe sleep apnea, the way they came up with those numbers was they tested about 500 adult white males, and they found that those that had 30 AHI or greater had serious health conditions, hypertension, stroke, Parkinson's, diabetes, et cetera. And those that had between 15 to 30 had pre-diabetes, pre-hypertension, and had maybe a history of stroke or potential, like TIA. And those that had 5 to 15 um, predominantly complained of a bit of fatigue at the end of the day, a bit of memory loss, uh, maybe a little bit of grumpiness, but not much. So that's how they came up with that mild, moderate to severe scale. Um, but, but if we use it in context to the patient's health history, if we look at it, okay, well, this guy is bruxing. I can clearly see the wear facets on their teeth. I can see the ab fractions. And I see a history of depression, anxiety, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, whatever. Because um, all of these things are associated with sleep apnea. We, and, you know, we don't say it, ca- it can cause all of it all of the time. But we definitely see research that shows patients with uh, sleep apnea and type 2 diabetes, when they get their di- uh, sleep apnea resolved with either CPAP or oral appliance therapy, they don't have type 2 diabetes anymore, or it's greatly reduced. We see this with depression, anxiety, we see it with pain, um, and we also see it with hypertension. So so right off the bat, I mean, we don't say it can cure it every time. We just say, okay, we know there's a strong correlation. We should investigate further, refer to physician for a sleep study. So right off the bat that, and of course, the number one reason why someone clenches their teeth that causes the TMJ problem to begin with is sleep apnea at 50% of the time. So that's right off the bat. Two, of course, the palpation, you open and close, you can see if their range of motion is at least 42 millimeters or greater. Make sure they don't deflect you know, to one side every time they open. That's huge. Um, some of the hallmarks, um, of course, what we talked about, like wear facets and abfractions. But if you have a patient 
and they are very hard to get numb, especially inferior alveolar blocks. Okay, I see a lot of that on patients with T with chronic TMJ problems, huh. right? Where you know they're like, God, it takes like twice the local anesthetic to get these people numb, and it takes forever to get them numb. You know, have to wait a half an hour before it kicks in or more. Um, and then afterwards, they stay numb for a long time. I see, I see the overlap between that and chronic TMJ patients often. Yeah. So this understand this is coming from this question is a total layman question, but it's it's just popped into my head. Do you often see people that have TMJ issues, but they don't really have symptoms that are presenting? So they have TMJ issues, but they don't have any other symptoms outside. presenting at that time, right? The, you know, clicking or so pain. It, it's usually the other way around. It's usually the other way around. So uh, first off, I mean, if a patient came to see me with just a click, right, I'm not going to sit there and tell them, oh, my God, you have to fix this click, right? I have sure. a little bit of a click. It's not a big deal, right? If they're, if they get, oh, I, I clench my teeth and I want something to, you know, protect me from when I'm clenching. Sure, we can do that. But just treating the click is not really something you absolutely have to do. Um, it's not going to be causative to a whole bunch of problems. It's rather the, the opposite where it's like a symptom of something else, i.e. sleep apnea, right? What we typically see, right? So we know that tension type headaches is caused by the greater auricular nerve being compressed against C2 and the occiput, yeah? And the number one reason why that happens is because of bruxism, because they brux like this, yeah? Um, you know, oftentimes these patients will go to a chiropractor with their tension headaches, they get adjusted, instantly the headache goes away, right? And then either by the next morning or the morning after that, they've clenched enough to cause it to come back again. So that's the other thing. A patient will present with tension type headache before they'll present with a TMJ problem, right? They'll present with neck and myofascial pain syndrome and their upper trapezius before they'll present with a TMJ problem, right? They can even present with trigeminal neuralgia before they present with a TMJ problem. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are the top three questions that um, are not being asked, that dentists aren't asking their patients right now that they should be asking? Right. So um, the correlation between um, their issues of depression, anxiety, hypertension, diabetes, and how they sleep, right? You know, sleep is a very, um, it's a nebulous zone because you're unconscious. You don't know how you're sleeping, right? And maybe your bed partner will point out that you snore, or you fidget, or, or, what are you, or you choke in your sleep. But even then, like a lot of my male patients will say, oh, my wife has been saying I choke in my sleep for like 10 years. You know, I don't believe her. It's like, well, I mean, what do you want her to do? Take a photograph? I mean, it's like right. you're doing it, you know. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing is just asking them how are they sleeping? Because the truth is the vast majority of physicians are not asking their patients how you sleep, right? right. And yeah. we know that we get almost 100% of our growth hormone from one stage of sleep, and we get the majority of our mental or emotional uh, resilience and repair during REM sleep, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, I mean, you know this, the physician's model is, oh, you're having depression, here's a drug. You know, sure. good luck. Let me know how that works. If it doesn't work, we'll change it out to something else. Right. right. Very rarely do they say, well, how, how have you been sleeping lately? You know, 
And then, then patients will come up for it because you know what, my mom died last year. And ever since then, I haven't had a, I've been having a real problem sleeping. Um, and it's kind of put me into depression that I can't get out of. That's, that's a, that's a common thing, right? And, you know, whereas a physician will be like, well, here's some medication, right? A, A better model will be like, well, what can we do to help you to get to sleep? right? Can I send you to a sleep specialist? Can I send you to someone that'll maybe give you some supplements that'll maybe help you cognitive behavioral therapy to resolve your, um, the death of your mother and et cetera, uh, things like that. Um, and we have to kind of take it upon us because, you know, patients typically see us on a six month recall, right? They're coming in for cleaning sometime sooner. And, you know, we're the ones looking inside their mouth. So we're seeing if they're clenching and grinding. We're the ones looking at their health history to see if anything's changed. Um, you know, not everyone is going in for their annual physical with their doctors, right? And now that we're post-COVID, even more so, people are a little bit of reticent to go into the doctor unless it's absolutely necessary because sure. they don't want to go in there and catch something. Right. You know? Yeah. So dentists become, to me, I mean, they've always been primary care providers, but now even greater. Yep. So last last question I have for you is if you're mm-hmm. a dentist mm-hmm. anywhere in this country and, and you're looking to partner with um, a, a, you know, a highly trained or I should say a specialist in sleep, um, and TMJ, pain, how do you what do you look for? What questions do you ask them? How do you make sure that you know this is going to be a good fit for, for you from a clinical point of view and for your patients for a clinical point of view? So, so you're asking how would a dentist work with someone like me? Is that is that what your question how, is? How, how, how do you, if you're not right now, if you're not referring out or you're seldom referring out to someone and you, you know, hey, this is something that you should be doing more. It's definitely your patients need that. How do you look for an expert to, to work with? So one of the basic ways, I I think this is the best. Um, I am part of like a franchise. We have over 65 centers throughout the world, right? Majority of us are around Canada and U.S., but we have them literally all over the world. Um, You can go to a website called tmjtherapycenter.com and center is spelled the British way, C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And they have like a patient portal and a doctor portal and like a map so that you can find someone that's like-minded, right? We've all been trained by Dr. Steve Olmos that has an extremely evidence-based technique on treating both pain and sleep, right? Like, you know, I haven't met all the centers, right? I've met quite a few. I'm center number three, by the way. So I've I've actually been, I've probably been more than most. Um, But if I met someone and I know they've been trained by Dr. O, I would feel completely comfortable referring them to that person. I've had patients that have gone, you know, Texas and New England and, you know, Miami. And I'll just tell them, I go, here, go to this guy. I'll go to this gal. You know, I, I trust them. I know them. They're going to they're gonna treat you right. And they're going to continue what I've been doing for you. Right. right. So that would be the best way. You know, what, your question reminded me of a question that I was asked which was how would we know? Because, you know, I think last time we talked about the research that showed that patients that had sleep apnea and bruxed and wore a night guard, the night guard made them brux harder and worsen their apnea about 50% of the time. Do you remember this? I don't, I don't recall that. No, but yeah. And, and I would say that in my lectures like 16 years ago and people would say, well, how do we know whether we should make a night guard or refer them out to you 
to make a TMJ appliance or a sleep apnea appliance, right? Sure. I said, well, first thing you do is just inform the patient, okay, this could be sleep apnea because not everyone is motivated to fix that problem. Let's just be honest. Yeah. And the other is you have to let them know, it's like, okay, listen, you could have a TMJ problem, okay? And I don't know how bad it is, but I'm going to make you a night guard, which is going to protect your teeth and protect the dentistry, okay? If that works for you, great, okay? If it doesn't or you get worse, Okay, then we have to know that you for sure have a severe problem that's in your jaw and you should go see a specialist. Right. right. That's that's the way it's it's just like if you were doing a deep filling. Right. And you're concerned that you might be into the nerve because it's such a deep caries. You inform the patient and you say, OK, listen, this is super deep. This might become a root canal and crown. I don't know yet. Right. So if it does become a root canal and crown, the patient's like, oh, OK. Well, I knew it was a deep one. You told me before we started, right? Whereas right. if you don't tell them and then it becomes a root canal, then the patient is upset at you that why did you cause a, a root canal, right? It's the sure. same exact thing with the night guard. You just inform the patient, hey, if it gets worse with the night guard, you probably have something much greater than just clenching your teeth. And then that way it protects you and it informs the patient that, hey, you definitely need to see an expert. Yeah, that's great advice. I want to I want to give our listeners um, your website before we thank you for coming on. It's your website's really easy. It's tmjla.com. Yeah. Um, right. Very easy to get to. And, um, you know, if, if anyone wants to learn more um, about your practice, um, about what you do in the greater Los Angeles, Southern California area or any of the centers, I'm welcome them to reach out. Correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, two locations in the LA area. Yeah, and it's it's uh, absolutely fantastic. And um, I want to thank you again for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to our audience and to talk. Thank you, Patrick. You're asking great questions, and I love being on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. Good one. Happy holidays. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? Search The Dental Brief on Facebook, or visit our website dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.